There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Rocking the blue blockers. The Orange Bill Volunteers cap, the whole deal, a fishing gear shortage. Not a single rattle trap or Vibrax anywhere to be seen. The coronavirus is hands down the best thing that ever happened to stripe a surf fishing, ever. I mean, I ain't smiled this much since Deep Throat was in theaters. White deck boots are welcome. You will still get served the cheese curds when you walk in sweating and leaking snot after a day on the ice. Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, where we invite fishermen from all walks of life, all skill levels, and all factions to unite. I'm Joe Cermelli. And I'm Miles Nolte. And the way I describe this, for those of you lucky enough to remember such an awesome thing, this is like an like an eighth grade mixtape about fishing. <laughs> uh, fishing and, and whatever the hell else we feel like talking about. But I, yep. Joe, I really don't think that anyone makes mixtapes anymore. I think I think the kids call them playlists now. No, they don't. That's a shame. I don't even know if you can buy blank tapes anymore, though I, I do remember that, that my last mixtape had uh, White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane followed mm-hmm. by a bunch of no effects tracks. <laughs> yeah, you have to, I know funny. you're a music guy. What was on your last mixtape? I, dude, I don't, I, if I'm being honest, I don't remember the music that was on it. It was probably no effects or something around there. But I, what I do remember is I had this tape called Forbidden Spanish that was how I learned <laughs> bad words in Spanish. And I would include little snippets of that in between the songs that I recorded onto the mixtapes that I would then give to girls, hoping they would laugh and that, that you know, them being amused would make them like me. Did it work? Not really, no. No. <laughs> Okay, I feel that pain. I did a, sim- a similar thing with Jerky Boys clips. Anyway, enough about that. Look, to be upfront with you guys, our plan was definitely not to launch this podcast in the middle of a global pandemic. Yet here we are. And so you understand exactly where we are. Miles is actually in Montana. And I'm on the other side of the country, east side, right outside of Philadelphia. And man, it's it's been a roller coaster with the COVIDs yeah. for a while there. I was in COVID hell, and 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 Miles had clean living, and now there's there was the COVIDs there, and now we're supposedly doing good, and now I don't know. Everybody just has the COVID, so yeah. we'll we'll just we'll just go with it. But you know what? Um, despite pandemics, we're pressing on, and we're we're giving this thing a go. Yeah, and you know what? For every everyone out there, I think you probably can agree with me when when everything feels so shitty as it does right now. The the real only response is just to go fishing. So Ab- that's yep. what we're trying to do. <laughs> I I never really stopped fishing though. It just was weird there for a few months with like who you're allowed to fish with and who you can't. Can you leave the house? Can you not? But uh, we we do have a regional fishing report for you guys this week. That's that's something we're going to be doing weekly. Uh, it's weird, though, because we're going to play a report for you guys that's actually a few months old. And I, I do understand that uh, an old fishing report isn't really that useful. But 
you guys have to hear this. And this came in over the bent phone, which is <laughs> just similar to the bat phone. And our answering machine actually does use a tape because we don't have the budget for uh, for digital. But this one's coming in from Striper Surf Fishing legend Bob the Garbage Man Bratanananuski, who has been a, a, a fixture in the Jersey surf scene since long before I was born. Okay, he's, he's an absolute legend. He only uses chunks of Menhaden, which we call bunker, and vehemently opposes the use of artificial lures in the surf. And I'll just say, this is going to take you back to when quarantine was like, really bad? But sometimes you have to examine where you've been to understand where you are. I think How that's an inspiration. <laughs> I think that's an inspirational meme that I saw on my inspirational <laughs> meme app. Anyway, kicking it back a few months to the height of quarantine with Bob G, who will inspire you. Hello out there in Radio Land. This is Striper Chunkin' expert Bob the Garbage Man Bertana Nananuski. As per usual, I'm calling in my weekly East Coast Striper Fishing Report from the payphone on the corner of Baltic and MLK here in Atlantic City, New Jersey. But don't worry, I poured hot coffee over the receiver to disinfect it before dialing out. You gotta be smart in times like these, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, I gotta be real honest with you. As far as I'm concerned, the coronavirus is hands down the best thing that ever happened to striper surf fishing, ever. I mean, I ain't smiled this much since Deep Throat was in theaters. For the first time in my life, I could tell somebody to get the f*** away from me and then add, quote, by order of law, asshole. <laughs> But let me tell you, I've been chunking spots I ain't fished since 87, 88 because I don't have to worry about a f***ing Momo snagging my line with this pencil daughter, you know what I'm saying? It's a mook-free environment right now. There's nobody out asking me stupid questions like, hey, Bob, ain't you worried about the coronavirus because you smoke so much? <laughs> oh, anyways, listen, kidding aside, for your safety... You need to stay at home. Be smart. And if it's any consolation, you ain't missing much, okay? But I, I absolutely did not mow down three 50-plus pound bass in only a two-hour soak on the beach right in front of the old Trump Plaza the other day. For those of you desperate to get back on the bulkhead over there at Clam Creek, don't rush. I only caught one 65-pounder and about 25 low 40s in a five-hour soak there the other night. <laughs> it's slow. <laughs> Stay home, you know. Oh, the coronavirus is going to get me. <coughs> For the rest of the Striper Coast, ugh, it's pretty much the same story. My old friend Jimmy the Gooch on the south shore of Long Island has been quarantined at Fire Island Inlet for two weeks and is advising friends and family to please worry about securing bread eggs and milk before being concerned about where to get fresh bunker to junk though he has informed me he has plenty and is selling one bunker for $13 and two for 26 not that you need it <laughs> he ain't catching nothing <laughs> oh, oh shit I can't even keep a straight face he's f***ing murdering them 50 sliding through the suds like they're on a goddamn conveyor belt oh jeez Christ so that's it for this week. Once again, I can't stress enough that the overriding message is stay the f*** home for a year. Maybe two. Better safe than sorry. <laughs> you dumb asses. That was, uh, uh, that was pretty weird, man. I've definitely never heard Bob that optimistic. That was Hearing Bob that happy is creepier than walking into my local grocery store and having everybody's faces covered up in cloth. Like That is just straight up creepy. <laughs> he, was, he was a beacon of light in dark times, man. I mean, true legend. That dude is someone to emulate. I've, been, I've spent my whole life trying to emulate his, uh, his feats in the striper surf. I mean... Weird, weird as it is, and and having talked to Bob in the past, that was weird. It it is it makes a strange kind of sense because everything felt so turned upside down for so long, and and when when <laughs> shit flips upside down and we go into the twilight zone, you know the garbage man becomes the optimist, I guess. <laughs> but you do have to keep in mind though that report's a few weeks old, right? So as things are seemingly getting better around here, I'm sure Bob's miserable as shit again. <laughs> which which sort of sure puts the world right because that's how, how how we've all always known old Bob out here as uh, a miserable dude, and it does feel good to have this optimistic vibe in the air among the people 
if you will. At the same time, man, you read the paper and uh, read read the news online, and it's hard to know if you should be optimistic. I don't really know if we're, we're quite out of the woods yet. Um, and thinking along those lines, I think that takes us very nicely into the weekly word. Webster's Dictionary defines fish as... Well, Bob is warding off the coronavirus by pouring gas station coffee on everything he touches. I, I just don't think Dr. Fauci would endorse that as, you know, like a valid preventative measure. I, I think we're all just going to have to wait for the vaccine. But what about the next major outbreak? Well, here at Bent, we consider ourselves public servants. We give you essential information, kind of like, you know, the CDC, only with even less funding. And since knowledge is power, you need to understand the word zoonosis. Zoonosis is a, a disease that can jump from animals to humans, and you guessed it, good old novel coronavirus is zoonotic. See what I did there, Joe? I converted the uh, the noun form, zoonosis, into the adjective form, zoonotic. You're, you're a real smart feller. <laughs> <laughs> we English speakers stole this term from ancient Greek, in which the prefix zoo means animal and the suffix nosos means disease. Since uh, supposedly... They tell us this is a fishing podcast. Supposedly. Supposedly. The obvious question we should answer here is, is do fish carry zoonotic diseases? And the short answer for that is no, but but also kind of yes. Hang on. Let me explain. Evolutionarily, we as humans are a long way from fish. So the viruses that affect them, are uh, they're not likely to jump over and make the, make the cross into humanity. The machinery is just different. The next coronavirus is not going to rise out of the local fishing hole, even some of the nasty backwaters in Jersey where you pull over and fish, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Cold-blooded. But having said all that, fish can carry bacteria, not diseases, but bacteria that will jump all over humans. Nasty stuff like uh, Streptococcus ineae, which can be present in both fresh and marine fish species and cause all kinds of unpleasantness. If, uh, if it gets in an open wound. That's where you get all those stories about fishermen contracting fleshing bacteria from fish or hooks or, or wherever. But really, from what I can tell anyway, the instances of that are pretty rare. And uh, they usually only seem to happen in Florida, like all the other crazy stuff. So bottom line, fishing will very likely not be the cause of the next global pandemic. And now you all know what zoonosis means. So you're welcome. Actually, though, Ben, I, I have some friends out here on the East Coast that have gotten some pretty weird infections and shit from getting poked with fish spines, and also from from uh, injuries suffered from from cuts while clamming, <laughs> clamming injuries, clamming injuries. If you can believe that, that's a real thing, no. man. But if you think about it, Jersey's just basically Florida with the correct climate to make Christmas Day feel festive and accurate. So it makes sense that the same weird shit they have, we kind of have. And dude, I've said that to so many Floridians, like, oh man, sucks you don't have Christmas, and uh, put my foot right in my mouth. So anyway, speaking of putting foots in mouths, oh yeah, let's do smooth moves. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? This is the part of the show where we call up fishing guides or charter boat captains or outfitters, somebody who makes their living taking other people fishing. And we ask them to tell us about the most obnoxious, annoying, or ridiculous things that they have clients do. We know that some of you out there fish with guides, at least from time to time. And uh, if you pay attention to our Smooth Moves segment, then you will absolutely know the best way to get under every guide's skin. Today... We're talking with our good buddy, Mike Schultz from Michigan, who is a longtime fishing guide extraordinaire, done all kinds of different species, just about everything you can catch in Michigan he's guided for, including Great Lakes Steelhead. He's going to tell us a little bit about that. Mike, how's it going, bud? Doing great, brother. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So uh, so what do you got for us today for uh, for the smooth move? Well, you know, when I was guiding steelhead was, you know, early 2000s through 2008-ish around there. And, you know, it was like before everyone was rocking sling packs and these tight packs and things were well thought out. So a lot of people, you know, would have those vests that they bought in the 80s and 90s and they just load these things up. You'd have every size shot, every swivel, three-way, extra reels in the back. 
you know, just insane <laughs> vests. Like, like you could, you could just rock them and, and, and lose weight instantly. And, uh, you know, you get these guys and they, they book their one steelhead trip with a guide a year and they, they climb in the boat with all their gear and they have the, the vest on with the nippers and the knot tools and the floating and the scent and everything that those guys would rock. <laughs> and then they'd immediately take it off and just throw it on the seat on their, their back of their seat. So then all day they're just hanging on it, you know, it's like, <laughs> dude, come on, man. So, so back then when I, I was working on the PM, I had, uh, you know, I was a young buck, low man on the totem pole, but I, I got the the little sign made by the local guy that said no vest, little plastic sign. And I'd stick that, stuck that on my boat. When they get in the boat, they'd see that. And, you know, instantly, what's what's that all about? It's like, dude, that thing, get fishing your size two eggs with, cra- you know, that you bought at the craft store and glued onto the hook, bro. Oh, I love Schultzy, man. He's a good, he's a good dude. He's the best. And listen, you guys are going to hear a lot more from him down the line because every time we talk to Mike, he tells another story after the story that we were trying to get and we're like stop telling the story because we have to push record so that we can record this story too. His stories are all so good too. So, yeah, get ready for more so, Mike. We've compiled a bunch of Mike. Uh anyway, these days, I'll tell you what, man, if if I'm being completely honest, whenever I fish with a guide, my attitude is now like, oh, great. I don't I don't actually have to bring shit. No. It's a luxury. Yeah. Like th- this dude is a guide for a reason. He'll have what I need. So while I, I used to kind of be that guy that felt like I had to be impressive by bringing my whole garage worth of tackle, now I'm like, oh, terrific. Guide, don't have to think about tackle. <laughs> yeah, and if the guy doesn't have all the shit you need, that's a shitty guide exactly don't and, fish with that person again and having been a guide yourself you must have dealt with overpackers oh yeah all the time and here <laughs> you knew it was going to be a bad day when the guy showed up and he's got 16 different dry bags full of crap and he's like 14 <laughs> rods and you know you're all you're going to do is break rods and they're going to be your rods that get broken not not his and your boat's going to be so heavy that you're plowing down the river all day and you can never get like even or up on step. It's the, the moral here is seriously, don't bring all the stuff. If you're going fishing, use the guide stuff. It's yeah. Be, because people don't realize, especially on a drift boat, right? Anything you bring, you're not going to use is just shit in the way all the time. Any boat. Yeah. There's not that much room. So it's just, it's just stuff that is, that is in the way. So um, good, good lesson told Schultzy style there as only, as Thank only you, Mike. public could. service announcement right there. <laughs> or if you really just want to start off the day by pissing off your guide, bring a ton of shit. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, anyway, look, now that we've, uh, exposed you guys to the, to the real truth that everyone on the river is in fact making fun of your 40 pound LL bean vest with the 48 <laughs> pockets, I am. we may as well, we may as well just keep right on educating you. Moving on to fin clips where we tell you everything you never thought you wanted to know about a fish that you may or probably may not have heard of. This week, we're talking about American Shad. Don't confuse American Shad with all the other Shad in this country. We got Alabama Shad, Skipjack Shad, Hickory Shad, Alewives, Blueback Herring. And while all those fish share the same genus, American Shad are actually more closely related to species found in Europe than their cousins here in America. See, American shad are anadromous, meaning they spend their adult lives in the ocean and then return to freshwater to spawn like salmon. They're also native all the way up and down the Atlantic coast. So like our beloved pilgrims, some shad ancestors bailed out of Europe a very, very long time ago, crossed the Atlantic Ocean and started annual spring parties in the rivers of the New World. Shad have been called the fish that fed the nation's founders, because many of those aforementioned pilgrims and the the colonies that followed them all survived on shad. Of course, the native tribes who lived along the Atlantic coast were all over the shad game long before the Europeans got here. Evidence of ancient fish traps has been found from Newfoundland all the way down to Florida. Historical records also indicate that some tribes went to war over the best shad grounds. Adult shad generally go three to eight pounds, and while I've never tried one myself, I hear they're good eating. They can be boiled, broiled, fried, grilled, smoked, or pickled. Uh, I've also heard they've fallen out of favor in the modern diet because they're bony, and we've all turned into massive sissies when it comes to eating around fish bones. 
There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This this, this is my way of bull saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Other thing I heard is that Shadrow is a delicacy for those who know what's up. Well, you don't know what's up, and I'm offended. You're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're you're offended. You sound yeah, offended. I'm offended because you. How do you take the lead on American Shad, man? That's first of all. I know your ass has never caught one, and nope. uh, second, the greatest goddamn American Shad River in the country is my home water, right up the street. I live for Shad, and I miss it. You're talking, uh, you talking Delaware right now? Yep, yep, yep. It's the last major undammed river on the East Coast, giving what many here call Jersey Tarpon. You didn't know they were called yeah. Jersey Tarpon. That 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 didn't make your little segment. <laughs> I didn't uh, know that. It gives them unobstructed access to spawn, man. And I look there are for people who get all like, oh, my river. Yeah, there's other good shad rivers too, no doubt. But usually you only tie in real strong, like up to that first dam. That's usually how it goes. No, man, I I, I have heard from you, but also from lots of other people. I've heard they're they're a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's a. It's a light tackle game. It's a killer light tackle game. Six-pound test, light rod. You know, you you need the right tackle to let them do their thing, but it's tons of fun. Um, And you've also missed the part about how without American Shad, everyone listening to this might not uh, be American. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) How's that go? Because, Because in the winter of 1778, Washington's army was starving to death at camp in Valley Forge, which is not far from where I am right now. And there was a false spring that February, one of those weird deals where it got too warm too soon. And uh, as I've read it, it tricked the fish into running early that year. And um, they came right up to Delaware and then hooked a hard left in the Schuylkill River at Philly. And that took them right to old George's feet in camp. And that saved the army and provided enough salted fish to eat later. Um, And without that, it's very possible the Revolutionary War could not have continued on. So hmm. what I'm saying is the next time you're getting a bucket of KFC, thank a shad because you could be eating tea and crumpets or bangers and mash or some other British shit. <laughs> oh, British cuisine. Don't forget the spotted dick. Delicious. So delicious. <laughs> All right. 
All right. I, I'm, I'm sufficiently shamed. Mm-hmm. You have shamed me. And uh, I know, man, I need to get over there and, and actually catch a shed. Well, just talk about it. as with all things COVID, we'll just push it off to spring 2021. Yeah. Things, things well, have to be cool. Gonna happen next Everything's year. going to be great by then, man. You know, <laughs> you come on out. You can eat all the broiled shad you want, all the roe you want, too, because that, that part of your spiel was bullshit, too, by the way. Nobody here in Shadland covets the roe except for five culinary weirdo food bloggers. It's not, it's not the bones. It's the fact that they taste like you're chugging a mug of bunker oil, as Bob the Garbage Man would say. Uh, I have tried it. To be fair, I've tried it. and You have? Yes. Once was enough. It's just, uh, man, it's greasy. It's greasy. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I do believe it's time for... Fish News! That escalated quickly. All right. This is Fish News, where we, uh, well give you fishy news about fishy things. The fun of it, however, is that uh, Miles and I don't know what the other one is bringing to the table, okay? Like, we have no we have no preconceived idea of what his news stories will be and mine will be. Um, so there's, like, some competition in our news segment here because you know damn well at some point we're going to find the same stuff. So we're trying to avoid... It's, it's a game. It's a game is what it is. It's a game. And, and I brought backups just in case... You scoop me on one of the stories I wanted to. I wanted to have. I, I have. I have a backup, but I. I will be pissed if you. <laughs> if you jump all over all my good ones. I only brought two, so this might be uh, the uh, news segment. According to Miles, who knows? <laughs> I'm lazier than you are. Anyway, uh, this first one here. This, you just have more kids. <laughs> this might be the greatest news story I've heard uh, in a very long time. It's. It's just like oh, it's. It's so me. And this is coming from Forbes. Okay. An offshore sports book has decided to post odds on the migratory patterns of nine geotagged great white sharks, providing a summer diversion for sports fan and wagering aficionados who may or may not have an affinity for sustainable fishing. MyBookie.com is offering a variety of odds. The sports book will utilize the tracking technology used by OSearch, a nonprofit organization that has the most well-known and widely used tracking tool available. It provides a detailed tracking history of individual sharks' travel patterns that people can monitor in real time for free via an online app. Gamblers will be able to wager on an assortment of odds and props pertaining to the specific migration patterns of individual great white sharks. This is a great quote. Ready? I have no illusions of grandeur that we are going to make millions of dollars off of this. It's a fun thing, and hopefully it catches on, said David Strauss of my bookie. <laughs> After being tagged with a tracker, sharks ping on O-Search when they come to the surface. Based on these pings, MyBookie will offer gamblers a variety of ways to place bets, such as how far a shark will travel between pings, whether a shark will enter a certain body of water, and what date a shark will ping next. Now, for great whites that ping less frequently, wagers will be able to be placed on if it will resurface Mm. by a certain date, and what country's waters the shark will be in when it resurfaces. <laughs> Statistics will be updated in real time, allowing users to closely monitor their bets. Oh, my God. I thought NASCAR was boring. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, though, right? Dude, I read this, and I was like, holy shit, this is my calling. I was, I was born for this. Because there's no way that my bookie realizes how easily this can be rigged. So I'm shouting out now to any of you Tony Soprano types out there. I got this. I got this. All right. I already ran the numbers on O-Search. Okay. You was looking at Cabot, nine footer, 533 pound male. He's looking good this year. (laughs) Pinged off Long Island, June 4th. Place your bets, July 13th, quarter mile south of Block Island. Jimmy and the boys be out there. On the Stugats with a couple sides of beef, about 400 buckets of goat's blood, a cement mixer worth of bunker oil, and a couple people we need to get rid of anyway. Cabot's going to surface right there. Easy money. Oh, my God. You know, they just legalized sports betting in Montana. Like, it, literally right before COVID hit, they passed that bill, and and all the bookies were – everybody was so excited, and, and then – the first season of legal betting in Montana, just as, as soon as it started, it was over. And I wonder if I could get well, this going. We might, <laughs> we might actually have to cut this out of the podcast. You may not actually hear this because I think we need to talk on the side, on the arm. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have a side conversation on this one. 
Oh, dude, that was good. That was good. It. it okay. I don't know if it's better did, than did my I first scoop one. You? But it's was good. that no, one? No, you of did yours? not scoop me. You did not scoop me. Boom! Some I thought that was the one you were going to have. Lucky bastard is going to get the chance to fulfill what I'm calling a childhood fantasy. Oh boy! And go fishing with Bill Dance. The Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency is holding a raffle right now. And one of the grand prizes that they got is a day on the water with the man himself rocking the blue blockers, the Orange Bill Volunteers <laughs> cap, the whole deal. So from, from now until August 16th, raffle tickets are on sale at the TWRA website. You can purchase as many as you want. You do not need to be a Tennessee resident to win. And all the money that they raise is going to fund habitat restoration. So that that's good, but even better, the winner gets six hours on the water with Bill, either fisher, fishing for crappie or catfish on the Mississippi River or at what they're calling an undisclosed Tennessee lake for largemouth, which I can only hope is the same lake we've all seen him fall into countless times over the years. I was going to say, otherwise known as the lake where he films all of his shows. Exactly. <laughs> I saw this, not to cut in, but you left out the part where they were like, uh, based on Bill's schedule. Yes. So like whenever yes. he can fit you in, whatever's happening around yeah. then is when you get to go. But you get to go. It doesn't matter. I would I would <laughs> open up my calendar for a day with Bill Dance. Well I would do, do that. Listen, I I've 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 interviewed all these guys at some point in my career. Hank Hank Parker, Flip Pallet, you know, Bill Dance, and he is the sweetest kindest most gracious man in the entire world that it's it's it, it almost like hurts my heart to take like a little shot at bill but i'm <laughs> but i'm thinking about that right as sweet as he is you get six hours on the water with bill dance which is going to be six hours of him not being able to hear you and every time you say something him just going huh 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 what's that huh no i met i only met bill <laughs> once and he was he was very 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 nice way nicer than most people who are famous in the fishing industry. I would, I would totally, even, even as like someone who works in the industry, I would still totally do this. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely going to be in this raffle. It's well, true. <laughs> the last time I spoke with him and he doesn't know me from Adam, right? He, he you yeah. know, but, but he ended the call with like, Hey buddy, you know, next time you come down here, let us know. We'll go have a steak and uh, go out fishing. <laughs> and I was recording the call for a piece. So I, I took just that chunk out. And ran it on social media. It was titled like Bill Dance Invites Me Fishing. <laughs> and <clears throat> the first comment from another fishing industry person was like, dude, he says that to everybody he hangs up with, dumbass. <laughs> like he doesn't want to go fishing with you. He's never gonna fish with you. <laughs> you wanna fish with him, win the raffle. Oh my god, that's funny. I'm glad I'm glad that one made the fold. I'm glad you got that. Oh yeah. Because I oh, eyeballed yeah. it for a hot second. Um, you know, and Bill Dance is certainly Old school, one of the uh, oldest school sort of fishing uh, icons around. And, and my next piece here ties into that, although we've been laughing a lot. And this one, you know, it's a, it's a little bit more bummery, but important nonetheless. Yeah. So at this point, it's no secret that the COVID pandemic has taken its toll on the outdoor industry. And while guides and captains and tackle shops in much of the country are at this point operational and trying to get back on their feet, unfortunately... Too many businesses just weren't able to recover, and mom-and-pop tackle shops were hit particularly hard. Now, we all know that those old-school shops that had everything you needed to fish local and nothing you didn't were kind of already on their way out prior to COVID anyway. But the closing of Ranky Brothers Tackle in Milwaukee due to the pandemic takes more than just another mom-and-pop operation out of the game. Ranky Brothers wasn't a traditional tackle shop. They actually specialized in lure and fly components for all mm. the garage tinkerers that mm. wanted to make everything from musky bucktails to walleye rigs to custom jig heads and pike flies to their exact specifications. And behind the counter were dozens of trays chocked full of minutiae, you know, like for the guy who just wanted two specific treble hooks or just a few loose inline spinner posts. And Ranky Brothers was a staple in South Milwaukee for 70 years. And while owner Bob Ranke tried online sales a while back, it was just too hard to compete with the major online component and material websites. And mm. of course, now with foot traffic down and hours cut back due to COVID, this neighborhood shop simply can't operate profitably, forcing Bob to retire early this fall. Now, this saddens me personally, because while it will be hard enough for our kids 
to experience a true old-timey mom-and-pop tackle shop. Stores like Ranky Brothers that existed solely for the angler that gets more satisfaction out of catching a fish on something he made with his own two hands may flat out no longer exist. You ever been in a shop like that, man? Oh, yes, I have. And and I'll, I'll say right now that long before I ever got into the, the fly fishing thing and building my own flies, as I was totally the kid who was building my own inline spinners yep. and spinnerbait some weird yep. posts. And, and, and my dad was even way more into it than me. <laughs> His whole goal was to make the strangest lure that he could possibly imagine and see if something would bite it. It was, it was really one of his favorite things to do in the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we hung out in those shops all the time. I was like, one of our things that we did together. The closest that I had here was Brielle Bait and Tackle uh, at the Jersey Shore, which does still exist. And while they didn't have a lot of, of lure making stuff, they had this huge rod building section. And mm. I mean, I've made a few rods. They were all terrible. But every time I was in there, it was just so inspiring. You know, like you're not really thinking about building a rod. You don't need one. And then you just happen to be in there for something else. And you start walking around, looking at all the decals and threads and blanks and it just like gets this creativity welled up in you. And I remember when the first Cabela's ever opened out here uh, and, I, and I went out there, of course, like the first time you walk into a Cabela's, it's like, holy shit, this is crazy. So I wanted to buy like 50 Panther Martins and I had them in my cart. And then I ended up in the lure components aisle and saw the bag of blades <laughs> and the bag of posts and instantly was like, I'm not buying any of these. Now I make my own inline spinners. And I still have some of those spinners here today. But to th I, that, I've never had a store like that that just basically sold the pieces. And I, I found that really sad. I never, we never had one that just did that. It was, it, but we had one that had a really good section of that. It was Grizzly Bill's Bait and Tackle that later became Grizzly Bob's Bait and Tackle uh, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, northern Wisconsin. And, and they had everything from uh, camo suspenders to lure building bits and pieces to uh to, to anything else in between i mean it was a it was a fantastic shop it, it probably closed down i don't yeah. know 25 years ago but <laughs> i loved that place well to me it, it's it's similar to like hardware stores i still have a few around here where you can walk in and talk to old gus and he'll get two screws out of the plastic tray for you <laughs> you yeah. know but they're getting harder to find you know you go to home they depot are. to buy you gotta buy a dozen and you have to involve walkie talkies and five people before someone can even tell you which aisle the screws are in you know what I well, mean? And, and, and what's terrible about this story that you just told me is that from what I'm about to report on, if, if they could have held on for just a couple months longer, they might have been all right. Because nationwide, tackle shops are reporting a fishing gear shortage. Really? Tackle shops all over the country right now are barren of fishing gear completely sold out and most of these are, are are the big box stores the ones that are still holding on and popular but same things happen in some of the smaller stores uh in fact just yesterday sam lundgren the fishing editor that we work with texted me a photo from sportsman's warehouse and it was like eerily similar to looking at grocery store shelves a couple months ago barren picked clean i'm talking not a single rattle trap or vibrax anywhere to be seen nothing I've, it's weird man like i've known that this has been happening throughout the country from talking to people but i only stepped into a big box tackle shop for the first time since before the pandemic like a week ago and lures plenty of them huh. i mean totally stocked on lures out here soft baits hard baits whatever you needed Hooks were hit fairly hard, but the noticeable one was line. line. I mean, there were there were literally three spools of line in the entire <laughs> aisle, and all that was left, the only options I had were 65-pound braid, high-vis orange, okay? Ooh, the good stuff. 50-pound braid, high-vis yellow, or 30-pound lead core trolling line. And I was like, none of these will suit my smallmouth needs, you know? No. Nope. I, I, I have heard from a lot of people that – Smaller mom and pop shops are faring much, much better through this. And I think that's probably because they order smaller quantities. You know, they need 20 rattle traps, not 200. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I just don't have any good mom and pops left around here to go to, or that's what I would do. So, and, and, and out here, the, the only mom and pops we have are, are like purely fly shops. If you want to get right. any conventional tackle, you have to go to the big box stores. And they are 
it's the opposite. They're they're out of fishing gear here. The lures are gone. The hooks are gone. But they still have line. So I don't know what's going on. Like I've heard it's a supply chain issue, but apparently that doesn't make any sense. But I'm I'm sort of torn on this. Like I'm of two minds because if there's one minor bright spot that I can point to in in this whole pandemic fiasco, everybody's out of work and they don't know what they're going to do with their time thing. It seems like a lot more people are fishing. Oh, and I, I mean across the country, it seems like the numbers of fishing fishing participation are up. And I know. I know our rivers, like my local rivers, are so packed with people right now. Like, doesn't matter the day of the week, doesn't matter the time, they are slammed with people way more than I've ever seen before. Yeah, you know, it, it's mellowed out for me here. Uh, it's it's normal summer summer crowds on the local rivers right here now, but during the height of all this in in April and early May, when people were were even more out of work and more locked down, oh my god, it was a zoo. It was an absolute zoo. Yeah. And, and again, this just speaks to the different types of places we live because, you know, everybody by you who was fishing there in, in the spring lived there and wasn't working. And now we are just inundated with tourists who are yeah. trying to get away from their, their own private COVID hells and they're coming <laughs> here and, and, and they're all fishing, which is again, I'm torn because I really don't like seeing my local spots that crowded and getting hit that hard. It, it, it bones me out a little bit, but I am really happy to see more people fishing. Like that's one of the things that we we really pride ourselves on and what we do. We try and get more and more people to get outside, go fishing, go hunting, sure. get out in the woods. Yeah. So I'm you know, on a selfish level, it 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 annoys me, but on a broader level, like if I can get out of my not my backyard protectionist mentality, I'm I'm happy about it. Um and you know what? Since we're we're kind of on the subject of more people fishing in my home state, there's this guy who just recently moved out here to Montana like a year ago. Uh, some of you guys may have heard of him. His name is like uh, uh, a Janus or Janice. Janice, Janice Pudelis. I don't know. Pud- it's, it's some <laughs> weird Latvian thing. I don't know. He's going to tell us uh, about a certain living fossil, or I guess in this case, swimming fossil, and his first time going fishing or technically snagging for paddlefish in this week's Yanni's Desk. Hey folks, welcome to Yanni's Desk. Today, I'm going to share with you about how the new world record spoonbill was snagged down in Oklahoma at a Keystone Lake. This fish is snagged by a fella by the name of James Lucart. It is massive. To see pictures of it, go to TheMeatEater.com and read uh, Spencer Newhart's article about it. You got to know a little bit about spoonbill to appreciate this. It's a prehistoric fish. It's been on the planet in its same form for roughly 20 million years. So they know what they're doing. They know how to survive. It's a filter feeder. So this fish doesn't chase other fish down and eat them. They don't eat night crawlers. They eat zooplankton, microscopic beings. To find these suckers, they use that paddle that's coming off top of their head. Kind of almost looks like a swordfish. Earlier, they thought that they would dig around in the muck with that thing, kind of like a swordfish does, and then eat whatever came out of there. But actually, it's got electroreceptors all over it. They are so fine-tuned, they can not only detect the zooplankton, but they can detect the movement of a zooplankton's appendages. So not just the zooplankton swimming around, but its little legs and arms kicking around, or whatever they call them on a zooplankton. And that's how it finds its food. He comes up in the water calm, and just like a whale, he opens his mouth, or she does. The water goes through there. They filter the zooplankton out, and the water goes out of the gills. Really cool fish. I recently got to do some spoonbill snagging or be a part of it. My brother-in-law drew a harvest tag on the upper Missouri River here in Montana. So we went up there right at the end of the season, uh, around mid-June, Gave it our best shot. Didn't really know what we were doing, but between talking to some folks, we got it done. He ended up catching right around a 25-pounder. Now, since they're not eating bait, you can't catch them like you normally would. You can't throw a woolly bugger at them. He doesn't care about a leech. Uh, you can't throw a ropple at them. He doesn't care about a little baby perch. So you got to snag them. And how you do that is you use a pretty uh, stout rod um, that can cast far and that has a lot of backbones. If you do hook into these fish, which... You know, going even from 25 to, as you'll see later, almost 150 pounds. You got to use heavy line. I think we were using 80-pound braid. We were using bait caster. Again, I say we. My brother-in-law was. I didn't have the tag. 
But you have a weight actually at the bottom of your line, and then you have a size seven or eight aught treble hook, anywhere from eight inches to three feet above that weight. And again, there's no bait on it. You cast it out there, the weight brings you down to the bottom, and you yank. Pull up your slack and yank. And basically, as you're pulling this hook through the water column, eventually your line will come across the back of a spoonbill. And uh, when you yank, you'll uh, pull that treble hook into the fish. You know, it sounds a little barbaric, but that's the only way you're going to catch them. Research shows that snagging them and releasing them doesn't hurt them. You know, they have a little flesh wound, as we like to say, and uh, they go about their business. That's how you catch them. So back to Oklahoma, this guy James and his wife were out on their first day ever spoonbill fishing. They took a guided trip. They just wanted to go snag a couple sub-50 pounders for eating. That's what they were looking for. They got a lot more than they were looking for. His wife starts off with an 88-pounder, which is also a giant spoonbill, and uh, releases it. And then uh, James is up. He snags into one. He's reeling it in. They see how long it is. They think it's about the same length as uh, his wife's. It is. But then when it gets close to the boat, it rolls sideways, and they see the girth on it. And this is my favorite part. This is in the little video that his wife was taking. When that fish rolls sideways, he says, God damn! And she says, watch your language. I thought that was great. In the heat of the moment, she's, uh, she's keeping him proper. It takes him another minute or so to get that thing and get a loop of rope around the fish's uh, tail, and they land it, and they take some, a quick measurement, and they, they think it's going to be near the uh, world record. And so they uh, take it back in to meet a uh, Oklahoma fisheries official, and uh, the guy weighs it, and it turns out to be 146 pounds, 11 ounces. It is a giant fish. It is almost as wide as it is long. If it was just a little bit wider, it would be a circle of a fish. Incredible. So good job, James. I recommend you uh, hang up your uh, spoonbill snagging hat, move on to something else, go break another record. But I think you're done here. Good work. Thank you, Giannis, for the extreme paddling. But hey, moving from one flyover state to another, let's take a trip to Iowa, not for the fishing this time, but for the drinking. We're tapping the keg for the first ever installment of what might be our favorite segment, and hopefully yours, this is That's My Bar. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. So, what's the goal of That's My Bar? Easy. Slowly but surely compile a list of the best damn watering holes for fishermen, not just in this country, okay, but across the entire globe. That's, that's the end goal, okay? And uh, Miles and I certainly have our favorites. What's your, what's your favorite? Uh, man, that's like, that's a really hard question. That's I know. like <laughs> asking me to pick a favorite child. Well, no, favorite child's easy. Uh, pick you a favorite fish species. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well ask me to pick a favorite fish species. But, uh, you know, for me, the one I'm going to call out is the sip and dip in Great Falls, Montana. That is Montana's absolute best tiki bar. It's got to be the only tiki bar. Yeah, it's definitely the only tiki bar. But it's actually, it's, it's <laughs> such a fantastic bar, man. You got to go there. Uh, it's above this old hotel. It's really grimy. It's got like the 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 coconut weave mats on the wall. And that is where <laughs> the famous Piano Pat has been belting out her beautiful raspy tunes under her hair helmet for literally 56 years. She's we- been there forever. <laughs> She's amazing. Anybody who, like, seriously, you can look her up online, Piano Pat, Sip and Dip Great Falls. You won't be sorry. And then behind Piano Pat, behind the bar, there are these windows into the the pool, and they hire men and women to put on merman and mermaid costumes and (laughs) swim around behind the bar. It's, I, I don't know if I'd call it actually a fishing bar, but it is pretty close to the Missouri River, and I have been there after fishing. So I'm, I'm calling out the Sip and Dip. Well, shit, I can't top that. But I know my new life goal, is we have to record from there at some point and have Piano Pat on. But I bet you, you just, do it, dude. You just, I bet like, you do it. You stole my thunder. Mine's lame. McBree's Crosstown Tavern in Starlight, PA. Like, big oh, I can walk in there with my waiters on. Big you just, <laughs> you just crushed me. They got good fried mushrooms, though. Anyway, look, here's the thing, right? We need you guys to step up. 
clearly based on just our two examples. Uh, we need your help because Miles and I don't know all these bars. So this is your chance to rep your local dive or your favorite cantina when you travel or maybe just the most memorable fishing bar that you've ever been to. These are the places where it's okay to walk in in a t-shirt covered in tuna blood. White deck boots are welcome. You will still get served the cheese curds when you walk in sweating and leaking snot after a day on the ice. So for our first installment, we're taking a jaunt to the Midwest today, to the Driftless region of Iowa, which is an awesome place to fish. And uh, it's very it's very near and dear to my heart, in fact. And today's nomination comes from Jay Aldrich, who writes, The Knotty Pine Tavern in Dorchester, Iowa, is only 50 yards or so from Waterloo Creek in the beautiful Driftless area. It's a small bar with tons of old pinups, and you will often find the regular old-timers having a few beers and telling stories from their glory days. We always try to stop there for a beer whenever we're in town. When I was younger, my old man was waiting there for my buddy and I to get done fishing. He was only there for about an hour or so, and the locals showed him such a good time that my buddy and I had to guide my dad back to the car so he didn't fall, in parentheses, <laughs> again. And then, <laughs> and then we had to drive him back to the hotel. I have actually fished Waterloo Creek, and I am I am just very disappointed that my my peoples out there did not take me here because I already know I would love the Naughty Pine Tavern. You know why? Because I, I looked it up. I was trying to do a little research. Um, there's no social media page for the Naughty Pine. There are no Yelp Perfect. reviews. There's no menu online, okay? All I could find <laughs> was a phone number, which tells me this is exact this is the joint you go to when your ass doesn't want to be found for a little while. You know what I mean? I'm just picturing like a beige rotary phone <laughs> mounted on the wall next to the bar that never rings. It's dusty. You can I yes. can just it's caked in dust. Uh, but yeah, like that's uh, I'm going there. I'm go and I'll bet you the food is delicious. Just I just have a hunch, you know. Yelp reviews aside, I do wish there was one Yelp review though. I wish there was just like one Yelp review that just said four stars had to be carried out. Like that. That's a bar I would definitely frequent if I were in Iowa. So oh, help us out. Keep sending these to us. We need more of these. The next time I am any place, I hope to have a whole list of great bars that I might be able to go to. Yeah, killer killer first nomination from Jay. These low-key joints are exactly what we want, and you can email your nominations to us at bent at themeateater.com to nominate your favorite corner dive bar full of dusty skin mounts and perhaps featuring an old bathtub-like trough in the men's room instead of urinals, Which and that is a, that is a mark of a truly great fishing bar. Oh, man, I have a new life goal, Joe. I hope to one day be in a band called Dusty Skin Mounts. We are just about out of time this week, which brings us to the end of the line. Our aptly named closing segment about what baits, lures, or flies you need to be throwing basically on any criteria that we want. Could be something me and Miles have been slaying on lately. Could be a hot new lore that intrigues us. Might be some ancient shit we found in the garage and totally forgot about. So while Miles is out hunting down band members for his uh, new gig in Dusty Skin Mounts, strong chance many of those Dusty Skin Mounts you see in bars, lodges, and fish camps were caught on one of his favorite vintage retro baits, the Bass Oreno. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Is it a crankbait? A service plug? A jerkbait? A glide bait? I don't know. And I don't really care, because as far as I'm concerned, the Bassarino occupies a category all by itself. The original Bassarino was patented in 1915 by James Olds. Olds immediately sold that patent to the South Bend Bait and Tackle Company, who went on to manufacture Bassarinos for almost 70 years. The bait was so popular and so effective, it spawned a whole genre of plugs, from tiny little troutarinos designed to be cast with fly rods, to mid-sized surferinos for inshore fishing, to stout muscarinos for musky and big pike. None of these offshoots ever really caught on, and you know what? They didn't really have to. The design of the original was so brilliant, it worked on just about every shallow water predator. 
With any baitfish imitation, it's all about the wobble. And the Bassarino wobble is like nothing else. It's not even really a wobble. It's more like a high-speed dart and glide with a few random hip thrusts here and there. Anglers like to compare lure action to dancing. And if modern cranks are Miley Cyrus, the Bassarino is James Brown. You never really know which direction it's going to go when it gets up and does its thing. The Bassarino was part of the first wave of industrial lure innovation in the United States. It was patented the same year as the first lipped crankbait, the Creek Chip. But the Areno has no lip. It's a cylindrical solid wood lure with a sharp taper to the tail and a scooped out face. That scoop sits right below the surface of the water when the bait's at rest, so that when you start retrieving it, it digs down into the water and forces the bait under. The sharp rear taper creates the erratic darting, wiggling, and gliding that has seduced irritable and hungry fish for more than a century. I'm not giving you some nostalgic BS about vintage tackle. I am not now, nor have I ever been one of those guys who collects old lures in their original packaging to arrange its soft angles in curio cabinets. Lures are meant to be fished, and if I'm going to tie one on, it better get bit. My uncles have been fishing the lakes of northern Wisconsin together for more years than I can count. To this day, every single time they go out together, one or both of them is guaranteed to tie on a Bassarino. Why? Couple reasons. First, at this point in their lives, neither one of my uncles has any time or patience for finesse fishing. They want to fan cast around for a couple hours, get that hit of adrenaline from a hard bite on a quick retrieve, and then head home in time to catch the first pitch of the Cubs game with a Miller High Life. The solid cedar body and aerodynamic shape lets them cast Bassarino's long distances with little effort and burn them back, searching large areas for aggressive fish. Second, my uncles are generalists. They're not so much interested in specific fish. They're after willing fish. Bass, pike, walleye, muskie, they don't care, as long as they get bit once in a while. The Bassarino's generic bait fish look and timeless strike triggers means that just about anything hungry enough or angry enough will take a whack at it. And the three trebles dangling off the belly give them a good chance of putting at least one fish in the net, even if they're not really paying attention. Third, they have confidence. These guys have been consistently hooking up on these lures since Carter was in office. Maybe earlier. I don't actually know. One time, my Uncle Jim was fishing a favorite areno, the, the frog color, and he hooked a hammer handle pike. When he went to grab that fish from the net, it surged and my uncle wound up with two barbs in the meat of his hand. At the ER later that day, the doc asked if he could keep the plug and add it to their collection of lures removed from fishermen. My uncle said, hell no. That's a damn good lure. I'm not giving that away. The following season, he caught his personal best muskie on that exact bait. He still has the scar on his hand, the muskie on his wall, and the bassarino in his tackle box. Sadly, no one makes this bait anymore. Lure Jensen acquired the patent in 1982, but discontinued them a few years ago. The good news is that you can still find plenty of used ones online for cheap. Don't be afraid to buy one that looks like it's been chewed up a time or two. Those scars, they're just proof of good mojo. All right, that's it for this inaugural episode of Meat Eater's first dedicated fishing podcast, Let's have a drink, Miles. We got we got th- we got through it, man. Please, uh, Joe, pour me an extra finger <laughs> or three. Uh, <laughs> while Joe and I get drunk, please let us know what you liked, what you hated, what we messed up, and just generally, how you doing? Send an email to bent that's b e n t at themeateater.com. Also, uh, while you're there, give us some stars, leave us a review, and best of all, if you like this show, tell two friends about it, then they'll tell two friends, and so on. It's like Six Degrees of of Kevin Bacon. Remember that? I never got that. I never got that. (laughs) So, I gotta say, we need a closer for this, Joe, and it just pisses me off. It's like a pet peeve in the fishing industry or the fishing community when people end conversations or emails or anything with tight lines tight lines so i'm going to tell you right now i'm never going to sign <laughs> off any of these shows with tight lines because it just irks me instead i'm going to say simply just go fishing <laughs> and uh i'll keep the rods bent while i'm doing it Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you oughta, 
you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.